Broadcasting from high above the reserve, this is Radio Harambe. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the last song for this set. Is everybody ready to get down and dance? Right, everybody's Jambo, everyone, and thank you for tuning in to Radio Harambe. I am Dave McBride, broadcasting from the Radio Harambe studios. Safari Mike will be joining me from his desert oasis in just a second. It is a uh, rare time for me to come back here on uh, Radio Harambe, but uh, Safari Mike asked if I could come and help him conduct this interview uh, we are about to hear now with one of the Radio Harambe Hall of Famers of Disney's Animal Kingdom, Nadi Gabashi, the uh, singer, songwriter, composer, uh, musician that for years and years led the Buradika band that you heard play uh, every day at uh, Harambe Village in the center of the square there. And we're going to talk to him. It's going to be a two-part interview. The first part here is going to be mostly about um, his life how he came to Florida. And then from the second part, we'll talk a little bit about his time at Disney and things like that. So uh, like I said, this is part one of an interview with Nadi Gabashi. Uh, I do recommend you check out all of his work. Um, he's done some solo albums, which we talk about on here. He's done some, um, obviously, the work with Wasalu, who is known by the rest of you as uh, <laughs> as Buradika go to nadigabashi.com you'll learn a lot more about his stuff um, and then you could also go to his uh, record label which is goinnativerecords.com uh, let me make sure I have that right before I uh, send that one out to you but nadigabashi is spelled n-a-t-h-i-g-c-a-b-a-s-h-e nadigabashi.com Dot com and uh, like I said you can also go to his record label which is going native uh, just goinnative.com and that'll get you to uh, going native records and you can see all that kind of stuff there so without further ado here is Safari Mike and I speaking with the great Nadi Gabash want to tell you guys um my one of the reasons why i uh have done a podcast on disney's animal kingdom is uh because of this next man we're going to talk to here uh my favorite days that i've ever spent some of them in anywhere in the world 
has to do with <laughs> finding a seat at the corner of the Dowell Bar uh, and spending an entire afternoon drinking whatever it was I was drinking and listening to set after set of Burdika, or we call them Wasalu, but it's this guy. <laughs> and so joining us is our first interview, Mike, I believe, with a Hall of Fame, a Radio Harambe <laughs> Animal Kingdom Hall of Fame inductee. It is Nadi Gabashi. Nadi, how are you? Thank you so much for doing this. Oh, thank you so much, you guys, for having me. It's a pleasure. Thank you. I'm doing great. It's a wonderful day here in Orlando, Florida, and it's exciting to get to chat with you guys. Finally. Now, yeah. now, I think one of the things people are always going to ask, you know, and I'm going to use the phrase um, origin story, uh, but people just because, you know, I mean, you're a, you're a Animal Kingdom superhero, so we might as well use that <laughs> phrase. Um, how you were born in South Africa. Um, tell us about um, growing up, how music became part of your life. And then maybe at some point we'll get into how you ended up in, in Florida playing at the Animal Kingdom. But tell us a little bit about like your influences, what music was like for you growing up and and those kind of things. Sure. Um, um, yeah, I, I was actually born in, in KwaZulu-Natal. Uh, that's on the in the east side of the country, uh, South Africa. Uh, that was quite a, a very rural uh upbringing uh, at least for the first uh, 10 years of my life but yes I was born there I was a second born in my family um, uh, my mom was a high school teacher actually no elementary school because she, at some point she was my teacher uh, I think on my third grade she she was my teacher there so I kind of had that kind of upbringing um, really, really rural and um, indigenous. Uh, you know, some of the songs I, I've come to write now are about some of the experiences uh, that I've had growing up, like the story of the, the, the mermaid from my album Strength. A typical upbringing of a, of a, a, a little boy would be just that of, of uh, taking care of the livestock. You wake up, you go up, uh, take the cows and and uh, you go heading cows and you spend some time over there. School holidays actually would be even more exciting. You, you'd stay night after night. You never really get to come back. So I think I was about five, five six, actually, at that time. Um, uh, and because my mom was uh, uh, a, a teacher, but she was also a, uh, uh, a manager to this uh, gospel group, that would every now during weekends would come around uh, for rehearsals at a, uh, a local church that we all used to go to. And this was going to be my first experience um, uh, seeing them rehearse. It was really uh, like your typical mighty clouds of joy kind of a, a right. version of, of, uh, of, of, of the local uh, groups back in the, in, in the, in the area there. And so really the whole music bug for me happened that first day when I saw them uh, rehearsing. And I just couldn't, that that was the day. I remember that vividly, even now. That was my first encounter with music. But uh, for some reason, because um, even as a family, mom and dad and my older sister, every 
Sunday, we would have an item, we would sing uh, gospel songs, so we'd have little rehearsals at home and so on. But it wasn't until I saw this group uh, rehearsing and that captivated me. And that was really the beginning of it. What did you What did you learn on? Did you learn on guitar? Did you learn what What What? How did you? Because you're like a multi instrument instrumentalist. I mean, yeah. I, I, I'm a guitar player. People with as much talent as you just drive me insane. Uh, but I, I, I <laughs> uh, you know, what What did you learn on? And um, and when did you start going from like what you're talking about, like, like sort of the gospel influence of something that you yeah. uh, were brought up with to what you do now, and what, what were the kind of influences in all of that? So uh, a funny story is that uh, about this uh, uh, group was that they used to have, of course, the, a keyboard, a musical instrument, a keyboard, you know, and my mom used to keep it in her bedroom because every now and again I would sneak in and start uh, messing around with it. And, uh, and that's when I actually started learning uh, playing chords there because I would just mimic and try to find um, uh, something that sounded more musical to me. At that point, there was no training of, of any sort. I was just uh, noodling around and, and just trying to come up with chords. And so that was that totally self-taught at that time. And I grew up with that, with going to church. But until, I believe this was until... Uh, when I was nine, that uh, uh, the my dad's situation happened. I don't know if you want to get into that. Uh, Go ahead. And then we, we moved into, uh, this was just after the the apartheid, black on black, all the, yep. the, the, the war stuff that was happening mm -hmm. in South Africa during that time. And, and my dad was chief of police in the area, but he was also very close to uh, the king, you know, it was that kind of a rural environment. You still have a king there. And my dad was a top advisor to the king. and But they had different political views and, and so on. So just around that time when um, uh, all these riots were happening, you know, this was just, uh, uh, I think, about 10 years after the 1976 in Soweto, uh, uprising and all of that. Mm -hmm. And so there was this split within the uh, the national uh, political parties. And obviously my dad was of, a dif of different views with uh, uh, the king, who, who they were very, very close. And so there was this break in between and my dad became... Um, all of a sudden, it became very unsafe for us to hang around mm. there because uh, the, there were a lot of targets and there were a lot of people who had already been uh, been killed based on these uh, different political views. And so we had to move. Luckily, he was able to buy a house in, uh, in a nearby suburb. Um, and just six months after that, after we moved in, he got shot and killed at that time. Oh. And so that was... Uh, Instinctively, my mom decided uh, uh, we're just going to leave that whole area of Peter Maritzburg and move to uh, uh, Durban, which is uh, uh, more of an urban um, township mm -hmm. kind of a place. And her family had just moved from the other side, the west side of the, um, uh, uh, of the, the same Kozulu Natal, but it was on the other side. Uh, and so she, uh, uh, during that time, that was when I uh, 
I had just about finishing, um, just getting into high school around that time. And during that time, we formed a band. We started, uh, I met a few guys who were into singing as well. And so we started a, a, a group singing. You know, you sing in different schools and funerals. You, you just keep yourself busy trying to hone your, hone your craft and stuff. So that's really how... It, it became even much more uh, uh, serious about that because we became known in the township, in the schools around the area as like the singers and so on. At that time, excuse me, I had started getting uh, piano lessons and so on. So I'll be, I'll be the guy on the piano and have everybody um, uh, singing around me during the, the uh, uh, school uh, recess and school breaks. You know, we'll go hang out at the handwork room, there was a piano there. And so all the girls would be around and they'd see us playing and singing. So we, you know, we, we became these, uh, uh, these guys who would be invited to sing everywhere and everybody would come and watch. And so that really became uh, um, a thing. And even after school, I would literally get home and grab something to eat and then move, we go to, to a rehearsal. And, uh, and it really became, something serious uh, uh, really that kept us away from a lot of uh, trouble you know as teenagers yeah and so this was simply high school and we were just boys who liked to sing we were very much inspired of course by um, a variety of, of singers this was like uh, right at the height of uh, rhythm and blues and uh, a lot of Western influence was coming through. We didn't have, uh, uh, at that time, in fact, it was usually a lot of uh, Western music coming in, in the radio stations. Our music was, we couldn't, we couldn't have our music played on radio stations at that time. So it was a lot of American music, and we were very much inspired by a lot of those guys in the R&B and, uh, uh, and so on. So that was... That was that, and um, never really got uh, into anything uh, much. I mean, we used to do stuff, you know, as kids, like, uh, uh, you know, smoking things. You're not supposed to be smoking. <laughs> well, you, you could do that now. It's not, it's not, it's, the world has changed. You know, and drinking a lot of stuff we weren't yeah. supposed to be drinking. Right. And, and, and so, you know. And, and and that was that. But then there, there was a a very interesting time in my life because this was now just before I was finishing high school, and uh, I had to now start thinking about what is it that I'm going to do seriously uh, for, for you know professionally, or what is it I want to become. And I was also there was this. Uh, uh, toxic luxury culture, township culture type of thing where everybody was, of course, into this loop of uh, just growing up in the township. There was that system and there was that mentality uh, that I didn't want. But I knew that I had to escape this, of course, in order to make something of myself. Uh, and music was was uh, was the obvious thing for me. I didn't have... Uh, uh, 
any uh, savings or any uh, money for college as such to get into um, tertiary education and pursue my music studies. However, I was able to start and for two years after high school, I enrolled in a music degree in uh, in um, University of KwaZulu Natal, and it was two two years into it, ran out of money, dropped out, <laughs> and uh, but luckily I got to meet uh, uh, with some very influential people in my life. The late Begim Selegu, he was a South African. Uh, pianist at that time, and I got to spend a lot of time with him. He taught me so much uh, about piano and so on. This was way before guitar. I hadn't even picked up the guitar at that time. So I was just uh, focusing on the theory of the music and the piano approach to it, as well as uh, uh, vocal lessons and so on. So this was that time, and he just happened to have a schedule where he was supposed to be touring around the country and I was chosen actually uh, all of us the, the two friends of mine uh, we he, he decided to take us on the road which was a fantastic opportunity and we were doing backgrounds and he was making all these appearances around the country um, and yeah, it just so happened that after that, he was also connected uh, with the Nogwa Creative Development Foundation, which is the um, a youth and children's arts uh, program, which I, you know, pretty much uh, spend a lot of time in Johannesburg. When I moved, I knew I needed to make a move from KwaZulu Natal to Johannesburg in order to. To, if I really were to take my music career seriously, I needed to be in that big city in Johannesburg because that's where a lot of uh, the business was, pretty much. And so I was offered to come and stay at a creative home, uh, which was uh, ran by this Nokwe Creative Development Foundation, of which the pianist Begum Seleg was a fiancé to the owner. Um, uh, and so uh, she was also uh, uh, a very well-known artist. She was uh, featured in the, the first uh, movie, Shaka Zulu, the movie. She was a right. girlfriend to Shaka Zulu at that time. So the family was really popular, and, uh, and her dad was a legendary actor in, in South African television stage, uh, televisions and, and movies and so on in South Africa. So this was a very well-known family and that led to many other opportunities where uh, I got to first meet Mr. Danny Glover, the, the actor here, who, who would come and, uh, and, and, and visit. Uh, this was actually, this was the, the first AIDS conference in South Africa. I think this was 2000. That was the first time I met Mr. Danny Glover. And so we had just started touring around and it was really exciting. And uh, I had just now moved to Johannesburg and I spent, um, at that creative home, I spent about, uh, I think about five years and with a whole lot of uh, development and stuff that I got to, to learn over there. And uh, also, so I picked up some other courses on the side, like music business and project management um, and uh, so much stuff that I learned uh, from there. But at the same time, I met other artists, I met other singers, and I started really 
working in the mainstream as a background and a session uh, singer there in, uh, and did a lot of recordings, uh, many, many, many uh, bands and uh, artists that really contributed so much into me just uh, uh, becoming more and more confident in what I do and, and, and so on. And then it was later on, I was going to later on meet with Hugh Masikela and uh, I, I had seen him in different places. Sometimes I've seen, we've, we met in different sessions and uh, the word just got around. And uh, I remember he had just um, uh, started signing new artists. This was around 2004, I think. And um, I, had, I had worked, he was also, uh, his office was also a management uh, a, a company for other artists. And I, I had happened to work with uh, one of the artists there, which is Mr. Tsepotsula and so on. And I was just going to pick up my check and I had my demo <laughs> with me. <laughs> and there he was. I just handed him my demo. And he was like, Natty, you know, I'm so, I've been listening to demos. It's been a long day, man. I don't know. I'll, I'll let you know. You know? <laughs> you know? So... And luckily, he did listen to the demo, and he called me about 10 minutes later. And he says, don't talk to anybody, okay? Let's meet. <laughs> and the rest really became history at that point, <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. And this was the big deal, you know. It oh, was yeah. a big deal, of course. Uh, and uh, and so a lot happened after that. Um, uh, I think he came out for about a week uh, he went to Europe, and a week later, uh, I got a call from his office. He wanted us to meet in Sentin, and we hung out there, and uh, we started talking. And then the next thing, we were in the studio. I was recording my uh, debut album, uh, Soze, and he was featured on Makoti. He's the one playing a solo there, and he plays all the horns in, in, uh, in that album. And uh, the album was released and it was surprisingly doing very well. Uh, Magoti was in all the radio stations. It was like, oh, wow, look at this. It's actually happening. <laughs> and uh, um, I think just about uh, three months down the line, uh, we, I had just started doing promotional tours with my band i had started a band already and uh, we were doing promotional shows really to push the album and promote it and i got the news that the record label was going down because uh, the ceo ceo had uh, embezzled some funds well, and uh, they thought they were going to recover and uh, it's actually not a good situation. In fact, uh, we were all, they called all the artists who were supposed to go all just go pick up whatever personal stuff left in the studio, in the office, oh just to make sure because they're going to be coming in and they're going to take over the property. And, uh, and so that was that. Right. So, <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, so it all looks like it's falling apart here. And then, yeah. 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 And then, and then uh, all of a sudden, okay, this. And this was after, of course, having gone through my dad passing away and uh, my sister passing away and so on. And uh, and then having to uh, 
to then go through this, um, which was very much a personal thing for me because sure. I was really trying to advance my uh, uh, my chances of really. Uh, coming up with this thing and actually making a living as a, as an artist, you know, I really right. thought I had a good shot at it and then bam, the record label gone. And so, but it just so happened that the, uh, there was a tour, uh, the North American tour that was planned with, with Hugh Masigela. And, uh, that was going to be, and luckily I, I made the cut. That was one of the artists, uh, uh, to, to, to be part of the tour. And uh, this was, uh, of course, featuring other artists within the Chisa record label. Great artists like the late uh, Smogilo Kumalo. These were really legends in, in my in my view. And they were pretty, you know, big names in South Africa. And there I was taking along with them. I had already done a lot of session work with them. I was featured in a lot of records mm -hmm. as a background singer and, and, and so on. And... Uh, and so we, we got on this tour. It was uh, going to be, I think we did about what? I think we did about, it was about two months almost. Yeah, two months. I think it was 20, 20 cities uh, in the state. Um, and then it was, uh, it was also Jamaica. It was, uh, uh, and then when we went out of the state, that's when they paired us with the, uh, um, uh, Jill Scott and your, uh, um, oh my gosh, I think Lembu M was there. Oh no, that happened later in New York City. But this was uh, Billy Ocean and uh, Mary Mary, the gospel duo, and it was Diana Ross, I think. And, oh, wow. um, yes, it was. It was. It was quite a a big tour, and we stayed in the same hotel, and really kind of got to chat with with uh, with Jill Scott. This was like. It's like, oh my gosh, this is actually big, and um, and so uh, I think there was a medley that we did together for the the concert. This was at the uh, uh, Emancipation, uh, the, the Jazz Festival. I mean, Montego Bay yeah, Jazz Festival in Jamaica. Um, so we did that, and then went out to Canada and so on. And uh, by the time we came back, it was it was it had totally changed my life actually that whole situation and that was the, it was it was epic it totally changed my life and uh, uh when i yeah i can't help but thinking you know you start off the story with this rural upbringing <laughs> with all of these political things and what the world must have been like in south africa and then here you are touring with these legends around the world i mean man you <laughs> That's that's more stories to tell inside of ten years than most people have in a lifetime. You know, it's 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 such an inspiring story. Even for me, it's a uh, it's a uh, I can literally look back where I've come from. I mean, I I, I understand most most artists have stories. You know, we all have sure. stories. Where, what we've done and you know where we come from. You can uh, mine might just be. Um, a little bumpy and with high highs and low lows, you know. But, I mean, yeah. uh, and, and listening to especially your the, your album Strength, which by the way I, I've probably listened to ten thousand times. Um, <laughs> my wife plays oh, it in wow. the car all the time. But anyway, 
Um, there's a lot of about unity and about uh, peace and the, the, as a strong theme, especially with your your solo album. I mean, how much of that stems from the fact that you went through this political unrest and the, and the I mean, I can't even imagine what it was like to have your father assassinated politically. I mean, how much was that an influence on your music now? Well, you know, if you like most most South Africans, uh, music was was the it was alcohol because people were not allowed to drink, so people became mm-hmm. alcoholics. <laughs> so, okay, and and the one way to uh, to protest at that time was through singing music. You find people in the streets singing liberation songs, songs of struggle. This was one tool, and this was one way that uh, <coughs> that couldn't be taken away from, from people. And I think that whole ambience was permeating throughout the whole country, and everybody mm-hmm. knew these songs and, and so on. And I think it was by, uh, by nature that I would gravitate toward that kind of message because right. of what I had uh, I had I had witnessed and so on, and it's something that we all believed that uh, you know we, we are all the same. We are created equal. Nobody should be treated um, uh, unfairly. I mean, there's that, and then there's a gradual progression of how the world itself and those in power uh, becoming more and more conscious about uh, uh, the importance of everybody being. Uh, treated equally the same uh, and then growing and becoming more and more advanced into that. I think uh, the the legal systems as well have had to adjust. That's why there's all these other laws that have recently been passed that are advancing the um, uh, just the the general well-being of everybody instead of segregating and division and all of that stuff. Mm-hmm. So uh, it was it was it was that I love I love that the, the, having uh, I mean I could have written about a lot about love and so on and you know uh, R and B has been written by great artists did wonderful things has been sung you know by many, many uh, wonderful artists and so on. But I wanted to, 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 to have a message. I wanted to, to have something, uh, uh, to impart something, you know, when I, when I, when I write. Uh, so there's usually a little a message about this, there's a story about this. And, uh, and I think uh, that also uh, taught me more about myself as well. Some of the songs I would write about something, and later on I realized, wow, I'm actually talking about my own experience. Right. For instance, in the in the the Uno Malanga uh, song, it's a story of a of a girl who who leaves home in the village, it's the comfort of home and everything, in search of a, a greener pastures, of a of a better living, of a, of a you know, and she takes off for years and so on goes away and uh, and then she comes around later on and she has learned now something she's grown and she's coming back home she's found something you know and only to realize that she was actually uh, running away from her own self her own 
she needed to go within and find herself. And but she's grown up and she's coming back home now. And the celebrations begin as she walks back into the village. It's that kind of story. It's almost like a story of a prodigal son from from the Bible type of thing. And I feel like a lot of that could have actually had a lot to do with me because uh, uh, after the passing away of my dad and after a record label going down and after coming back from the tour, I I just I couldn't I couldn't stay at home. I felt like I hit the roof, um, and luckily I was loaded, man. I had I had money after the tour, and, <laughs> <laughs> and my visa. I could stay for another twelve months in the U.S. And um, I met made some friends around the country in New York City. A friend of mine. Uh, um, this was at SOBs in New York City. A wonderful. Uh, 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 club, the Brazilian club, I believe, yeah. And she was scheduled to be in South Africa to record um, one of her uh, online series that she was doing at that time. And she moved, she flew in right after the tour, and uh, we hung out, and she wanted help to work, to contact some of the celebrities she wanted to feature. So I helped her out around that. We got some interviews with uh, even Hugh Masigela and Sibongilo Kumalo and uh, Lebu M at that time. Uh, and so uh, this was like two days before she was going to fly back and we met at the hotel. She's like, you know, if you want to come back, let me know. I can talk to my husband. You know, you know, we can accommodate you, you know, until you're back on your feet, you know, in New York City. So I said, OK. And then three days later, she sends me an email. She says, he said, yes. So you can come in. So I bought the ticket. I flew. I moved out of my apartment in Johannesburg, took my car down to Durban, left, flew back. And the next thing I was in New York City. This was in uh, uh, 2007 in New York City. And so that was, this was the time after, uh, uh, about, about a month later, really, about a month later after the tour, I came back to New York City and uh, stayed in Manhattan for about, I think about about two weeks. Yeah, and that was enough. The husband uh, came, to, he sat me down. He sat me down, he said, dude, I need my couch. My friend is coming in, I need my couch. So I had to find a room like at a job in, in, uh, you know, in a flash and I was able to do that. And I didn't know anybody in New York City. I had just started to, to connect with uh, some of the musicians. I knew uh, the guys that I knew back in South Africa were in the city, but I didn't know them. Guys like Magiti and and Tony uh, Sidras and uh, a lot of other background singers that had moved. And But I hadn't had time to really connect with them. So, because now I had an emergency, I had to, excuse me, find a room as soon as possible right. and get right. a job. So I managed to get a room in the Bronx and I got a job at, Junior's Cheesecake in Times Square, and uh, <laughs> I started hustling. Yeah, and... Uh, well, that explains the Yankee walk. hat. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, I was a big fan. I, saw, <laughs> I used to go there and watch all those games, yes. So that was, that was, that was, uh, that was very interesting. And now I started getting into uh, gigs in New York City, at Hell's Kitchen. I would be at work during the day, and then in the evening... 
I would go do gigs and the, it became really harder to carry a keyboard with me. That's when I started learning guitar. I mean, I really picked it up that time. And uh, I had a pretty good idea where things were and so on, but I really started getting uh, serious into playing the guitar because it was easy. You just put it on your back. And, right. Now, at and this point, get, is it just you? Is it just you? Is it just you at this, this point? Are you playing with a band or? This is this at this point. I started. I found um, uh, a South African uh, restaurant called Madiba in Brooklyn, in New York. It was owned by a South African chef from Durban, uh, Mark as well. And this started to feel like there was a community now. In it. and so uh, everybody had kind of heard about me and so on because they'd come and see. They saw the shows that we did in New York with Hugh and and Paul Simon as well, which was pretty fantastic, some <laughs> of the gigs we did uh, in New York City. And, uh, and, and, and so everybody knew I was around. Uh, I came back, uh, and then I, was, I, I Googled this uh, restaurant. I was told there was this restaurant, and I went down there, and I met the guys. And so I started playing there, piano and, and vocal. So I would play there, like, uh, Fridays, Saturdays, and Sundays. And, uh, and the word just got out. And um, and then some of the I met some of the guys there. I think uh, Jojo, the uh, uh, the the, the drama. That's when that's when I met Joe in New York City. He actually had just came back from here, and um, and uh, they were looking for a singer uh, at that time. And so uh, his friend was one of Paul Simon's keyboard player, Tony Citrus, from South Africa as mm -hmm. well. And uh, and they were you know they were looking for a singer and I happened to be a new guy in town that everybody was talking about uh, and and uh, actually that's how I was introduced to the Disney scene here uh, Island Breeze uh, uh, music it was through that and but it didn't uh, come to fruition until a year later two years later until. Uh, around that time. So uh, I got introduced to uh, other South African uh, uh, musicians and um, Bagiti came in and we it was really great to connect. I had known him from South Africa, but never really got to got that close to him. We would just meet the recording station, uh, I mean, uh, recording studios. And the next thing they were out all over the world with Paul Simon and uh, Larry Smith, Black Mambazo. And that was really, really, really early days. Um, but when we met in New York City, there were other bands. There was a South African uh, band, guys from Cape Town, uh, Mechanic, who were already doing their rounds. They had all these spots and restaurants that were doing in New York City. And I connected with them, and that really helped me out. Actually, Nick was one of the guys that gave me his guitar. That was my first guitar. So I was working with them now. Sometimes we do duos and so on. It was just, uh, it was the three of us. And then every now and again, an artist will come, like even Hugh would come back uh, and I would get on that tour. If he's around in New York City, I'll do those gigs and so on. Other artists will come, we'll do our own shows and tour around. And Level M would fly in and we'd be out and touring around uh, uh, in the Caribbean and uh, in Los Angeles and so on. And and I was gigging and gigging and gigging, going to work and doing all of that. So that was really uh, 
the um, the regiment for at least almost four five years of of New York City. That was the regiment you were doing that, and then my mom passed away while I was in New York City. <laughs> And that was uh, one uh, situation again, because uh, I had just renewed my visa, actually. I think I just gotten approved for an extension of my visa for, I think it was two weeks after my visa was approved, my mom passed away. And I had all these gigs lined up. Uh, and I had to knock them out because I needed some cash. I needed to go home and take care of uh, the situation at home. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I had to postpone the funeral. This was my direct responsibility. Uh, so I postponed it to be uh, two weeks later. So I did the gigs with uh, Bagichi and them and and then flew out to South Africa. This was uh, 20, 2009 now, you know, early 2009. And uh, got home, took care of that situation, and I ended up staying for six months, uh, uh, taking care of... Uh, uh, my sister there, as well as the family matters, and, um, and just rounding up everything, really making sure that um, everything is in place, and uh, and then flew back. But when I flew back, I flew straight to Michigan, where uh, my fiance had been, you know, pregnant, you know, and this was two weeks before my daughter was going to be born. So I flew back right on time, straight to Michigan, Detroit, and yes, and and she was born. I was there. One of the most amazing uh, times. I know you guys know about that. Yes, absolutely. Uh, yeah, and and, uh, <laughs> and and you know, so that really changed uh, the whole. It really helped big time with with my grieving process. Sure. And this was a turning point in my life. I was, uh, it was, it was a whole brand new uh, feeling. Uh, I fell in love again. That, that was like, yes. And so I, I was a stay-at-home dad because she had to go to work as soon as, as soon as she could. And uh, yeah, it was so I did all the work, the diapers, and all that stuff. Nice. It was an amazing. It was an amazing experience, and really, that that really uh, had an amazing positive um, effect on me. And uh, but I was also doing gigs every now and again. I would go fly down to South African consulate gig in New York City uh, or mm-hmm. in Chicago to do those events, and um, I would come back and give her all the, the rest of my check and just give it to her. <laughs> Sounds like my life. <laughs> this is my life. Describing me to a T. You know? <laughs> and just keep going. And then I spent a lot of time with the guitar with around that time, practicing and just going into that. I would do some gigs around in Detroit, but it just wasn't... Uh, it wasn't, it wasn't uh, possible because... You know, I was, you know, we had my daughter and uh, her mom was working and uh, it was, you know, it felt natural that I would just be at home like that and take care of her. And uh, this was, again, I think I stayed in Detroit for 18 months, actually. Hey!
All right, that's where we're going to leave it for today, and we're going to pick up with the uh, sort of story of his time in Disney the next podcast. Don't forget to check out all of our social media pages and all that kind of stuff. Uh, you can find us, uh, Mike's at Jumbo Everyone on Twitter. I am at Radio Harambe. You can also find us by just going to Disney's Animal Kingdom on Instagram and Radio Harambe on um, Facebook. And over there, on any of those, you can find a link to our Tea Public store where all of the profits we make go towards conservation. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you all next time. Until then, Quaharini, go well, and thank you for listening to Radio Harambe.